Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. Welcome to episode six of the department. Uh, please make sure to do us a real solid here. You know, follow, give us a star rating. If you have a minute, you know, write a review. We'd love to hear from you. It really helps us get seen and just takes a hot second. Like not even a second. I would say half a second. You can less than a second. Yeah. It just slide that finger across the stars. <laughs> It's that easy. You don't even have to sit down. You could stand. You could walk. (laughs) You could be on the toilet. Just do it on the toilet. (laughs) After you use the toilet, please wipe off your phone. Thanks. (laughs) There's got to be poop germs on that phone. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So gross. Okay. Well, okay. Well, today's episode is an offshoot of one of the biggest trends right now, which is social distancing. And more specifically, okay, the great outdoors. Wait a minute. Did you just huh? call social distancing a trend? It is. Social distancing is trending. <laughs> it's the saddest trend of our lifetimes. I actually read that. They're like, this is a trend. And I was like, mm. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's like a total trend right now is coronavirus. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, like masks. I mean, you probably have noticed that we haven't talked about masks. That's because we don't want to talk about masks. Yeah. I'm putting it off. It's not a trend. It's not. It's just how life is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So going backwards, um, social distancing and more specifically the great outdoors, Mm -hmm. which has either become a new passion or enabled people who already were adventurous and passionate about it to actually have more time to get out there. But before we actually get into this, Amanda, mm-hmm. you know, these times have allowed us to explore new passions, as I was mentioning earlier. So have you developed any new passions of your own this year? And they can be really small, you know, mm-hmm. like toenail health or a full-blown <laughs> obsession. Are you projecting? <laughs> I'm not really sure what's going on out there. You're halfway, I mean, you're completely across the country, not even halfway across the country. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. Well, here's some things that I'm really into right now. One is podcasting, which I do for about 12 hours a day, if not longer. Very passionate. Very passionate. Uh, Not something I had ever done before all this happened. The other one, which relates to that hot trend of social distancing and masks, is I'm really into... (laughs) a head to toe look that incorporates your mask. So, you know, you know, like trying to find fabric to match things I already own and maybe make masks out of that or make a scarf that matches to wrap around my head that matches the, the mask. And I really want like a purse that matches a mask. So anyway, those are the things I think Mm. about all day. Very cute. How about you? Mine's like a focus on self-care, which is basically Mm -hmm. a whole trend and episode of its own. Oh my God, Um, totally. But you know, like this is kind of the first time I have ever 
focused on myself or self, like actual self care on myself and like actually mm-hmm. made it a priority. You know, I usually just kind of drop everything for everyone else. And I'm just, it's been a pleasure. That's great. Everything from fitness to food to vitamins, you know, drinking a lot less, going to bed super early. Wow. Um, yeah. Like, and just feeling really good. And honestly, you know, it's, it's opened up a lot of doors, you know, even for having time for doing this podcast, which actually is also another passion, or it's a basically a passion about my passions, which is just <laughs> talking about trends and product and brands and things that are just kind of going on in the world. Right. Yeah. So I think it's kind of, it's all, it's all kind of talking together and speaking together and holding hands and, um, you know. We talked about this a little bit earlier today, just through text. We're talking about how we're coming out of this a bit, a bit better than you know we were before, and you're really making a pledge to do that. I think so for sure. I've been lifting weights, and I read more than I have since I was a Aww. kid. And uh, yeah. I, even today, guys, I splurged and subscribed to the New York Times online so I could get access to all those articles. No, I yeah, have that. and that felt yep. good. You know, it, you know what it reminds me of actually, Kim, is like. I don't know. I want to say six, seven, eight years ago, I kind of just was like not in a good place. I hated my job. This is, I was still living in Portland. This is before I moved to LA. So it might have been eight years ago. Hated my job. I just felt like so adrift. I had one bad relationship after another. I mean, each one was more toxic and scarring than the one before. And I just, could not figure out what I wanted. And so my New Year's resolution that year was every month I would do two things that would become a part of my regular lifestyle and routine that would improve my quality of life. So like I got a library card, you know, I signed up for a car share service so I could go more places. And, you know, (laughs) I started using the oil cleansing technique to wash my face, which like totally changed my skin. And I mean, I could go on and on. I I started subscribing to a produce box. I did more cooking, you know, I traveled more and like I had all these different sort of initiatives each month. And I knew if I slowly worked them in, they would become part of my life. And I still do all of these things now. So it worked. No wonder you're such a joy to be around. It's true. It's so true. You're so adventurous and you you have a lot of those things down. I, that was a major turning point in my life for sure. And I feel like this is what's happening for you right now. It's finally taking that, having that time, not taking that time, having that time to take that time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to just be like, I actually can focus on this. I mean, I always wanted to take vitamins. Do you know that I could never remember to do it? Oh my gosh. Sit in my cupboard. Yeah. Or working out like fitness, like having, you know, I've done all these like crazy, you know, like 30 day um, challenge. I'm on a 90 day challenge right now. I've already done another 90. Like just challenge after challenge, you know, it's just kind of giving myself a little something to do to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, speaking of passions, do you happen to follow Vivian Westwood on Instagram? I don't. Should I be? I'm going to look right now. You keep talking. I'm trying to figure out kind of what's going on over there. She's super highly eccentric to begin with. But <laughs> okay. But she has kind of reached a level where I'm wondering if there's a little something going on there. <laughs> so since late February, she's been doing these amazing, fantastic video journals on mm-hmm. Instagram called Save the World, the Big Picture. She gets super formal fully decked out 
Yeah, these outfits are amazing. These are amazing. Full look. And she's always in a different place, like a staircase. She's in the barn, literally in full runway, like Vivian Westwood runway, and then speaks extremely slowly, almost to an (laughs) ASMR level, about how she's going to save the planet. And Um, she's developed this manifesto and a nonprofit. And I am going to send you a link to the nonprofit. And it's a little bit of like jibber jabber. It kind of almost sounds like the ramblings of, of, (laughs) I just want you to read it. There was an article in the guardian where she came in and with with her husband, who is this like super beefcakey, like, 55-year-old Austrian designer. She's 78. They came in and they were talking about this initiative that she came up with. Thinks that she has literally just figured out how to save the world. And it's through selling these, like, these cards. This shit is crazy. It's crazy. It's also written with the syntax of, like, a Prince song title. So it's like... (laughs) <laughs> letter number two and letter U and yeah. weird symbol hieroglyphics and yeah. emojis anyway I would recommend following and watching these videos not maybe for the necessary for the message but for the outfits and she did her full fall campaign like of herself wearing the garments yeah it was all shot by her husband so it looks amazing that's so cool yeah I can't wait to dig into it a little bit more definitely looks like it's going to be tons of entertainment for me yes drop that bomb i'm going to leave that one right there it's very fascinating i I kind of i kind of dug into it and i was like what is going on here but yeah it's really interesting so it's funny because you know of course or i shouldn't say it's funny it's appropriate because we're talking about the great outdoors apparently (laughs) vivian westwood is a fan so Mm -hmm. kim are you into camping I'm, I'm going to guess no. no. Yeah, I, I kind of knew that. Uh, <laughs> did you ever go camping when you were a kid? I did. And um, I, I was in the Girl Scouts. and Me too. I, and, and like the brownies. And I would get pneumonia. <laughs> I got pneumonia like twice. One time it was, I was literally camping in someone's backyard. Oh my God. I am a Can. precious, precious princess and can't be no. outside for extended periods of time. Well, that's why I've never invited you camping because I had a feeling. I feel like I would get into it though, especially right now. I would literally do anything. Oh yeah. If I see you camping now, then I will know that yeah. this trend has reached critical mass. <laughs> I'm already seeing people who never go outside mm-hmm. camping. It's like one thing yeah. if I see Sherry hiking every day, because I'm like, yeah, checks out. That's her jam. Mm-hmm. But if it was like you backpacking somewhere I'd be worried that you were in a cult or on drugs or something so good to know okay I'm glad we checked in on that so anyway camping Mm -hmm. is blowing up before we get into anything really here I have to say and I cannot emphasize this enough I hate the term glamping like ah garbage it sounds disgusting garbage word it's for people who love brunch I'm tired I'm tired mm-hmm. of hearing it. You know what? If there were a Venn diagram and one circle was people who love brunch and the other one was people who use the term glamping, it would be the same circle. And, and going out top. Yeah. And going out top. <laughs> it's all one big circle, guys. They're all in there. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of hearing this word. It sounds fucking disgusting and it's basic. And I'm tired of reading it. And so help me God. If any of you who are listening use that hashtag, we're breaking up with you. <laughs> so 
It's okay if you did it in the past, just don't do it in the future. <laughs> well, is there another term? Yeah. Or is it just called camp camping? It's called camping. Yeah. <laughs> camping is a great word. Okay. We didn't need to zhuzh it up. It was great where it was. It's just like how breakfast is great and lunch are great. We didn't need to combine them together into one word. So camping. In recent years, camping has been enjoying a huge resurgence in popularity thanks to the millennials. It's always the millennials, right? And in some ways, that has been great because I believe that spending time outdoors teaches us to love and respect our planet. Like if you've never been out near a mountain or in some woods or seen a stream or a beach, like why would you care about this planet, right? So being out there makes it more real. But it also leads to super dumb shit like graffiti <laughs> in national parks, yeah. bears being hit by cars. And this happens a lot more than you would think. People needing to be rescued from hikes and climbs that they were not experienced enough to do. Like I'm talking like rescued via helicopter. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. Like not enough water. Like yeah. You, you didn't bring enough water oh, for your Oh, yeah. Camp. Classic. Classic. Yeah. Right? So – more than 78.8 million households camped at least one in 2018. And I would say that's like not quite a third of the population, but more than a quarter. So wow. that's a lot. That's, that's a actually lot. a lot. That's yeah. way more than I would have expected. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was two years ago. So that was actually an all-time historic high. In 2019, 30% of people surveyed reported that they had been glamping like they specifically <laughs> said the, the survey was about glamping it actually was and i wish i could remember the name of it but it was Who like the survey? it was like the 2019 international glamping report or something it was absurd was it, was it teen vogue like what was it no it was some sort of like campground industry group who was okay, like, okay. we really got to get this glamping report. Mm, yeah. So by the way, if you're not basic, glamping refers to camping in a cabin, a yurt, a luxury RV, basically somewhere cute that you're going to Instagram. You'll probably have brunch. Yeah. There's going to be brunch served. Is there usually a bathroom? Uh, or nicer, nicer bathroom accommodations than just a hole in the oh, ground? Yeah. I always thought that glamping had a slightly better bathroom. I mean, there's definitely going to be a real toilet involved. Like most cabins have a bathroom inside. Yeah. Yurts, you walk down the road, but there's like indoor toilets. Uh, an RV obviously is going to have one built mm -hmm. in. So this is not throwing up your parents' old tent that you pulled mm -hmm. out of the garage that smells mildewy and just sleeping on the ground. Now, I have to say, I love camping. I grew up doing it. But I had one really bad camping experience with my college boyfriend you might remember him as the guy who said that beer was bread remember that guy yeah anyway yeah. he said hey we're gonna go on this camping trip and I was like great I love camping let's do this so we get in the car and you know I blame myself for not really seeing what was loaded into the trunk we get to the state forest and guess what there's nothing in the trunk oh, there's nothing in the trunk because oh. He just brought a backpack and a sleeping bag and was like, we're going to sleep on this sleeping bag on the ground in the middle of the forest. And yeah. he brought, I would say, six to eight cans of Campbell's vegetarian vegetable soup. What? <laughs> 
disgusting. Are you going to have like some sort of like heart attack? And a bottle of Tabasco. That was, that was our prep for this trip. So the first night we got lost. We slept on the ground on a sleeping bag in the middle of the woods where there were bears and I was terrified. And I <laughs> ate one can of vegetarian vegetable soup, which I want to say has 90 calories. So I was up all night starving and fearing for my yeah. life. So the next day we went to a state park <laughs> campground. So we pull into a spot now. Every other campsite has, you know, a tent or an RV or some sort of shelter from the people. Nope, not us. Just sleeping on the sleeping bag right there. <laughs> Is there, wait, it's one sleeping bag? One sleeping bag that we're sleeping <laughs> on top of because it's summer. We're not cold. And like I said, we're surrounded by families and tents and campers. And so, you know, they thought we were on drugs or something. Yeah. Which, is fair. And we were starving because once again, it's just another meal of Campbell's vegetarian vegetable soup. God. And so what year was this? Oh, it was in the 90s. It was in the 90s. Oh, okay. I was okay, young. Okay. I was like late teens. Okay. And you didn't know any better. I didn't know any better, but I remember him always being like, Amanda hates the outdoors, blah, blah, blah. And I just want to clarify that I love nature. I love hiking. I love camping. I do not like sleeping on a sleeping bag in a campground. No. <laughs> no unacceptable. Unacceptable. Nothing to protect you from the mosquitoes. It's like, I have, it's like you're a caveman. Yeah, except cavemen probably had better food than Campbell's vegetarian yeah. vegetables. In a cave. They had a cave. They had a cave, yes. So <laughs> I haven't had a can of vegetable soup since then mm. either. It was yeah, very scary. So it's no surprise that camping is more popular than ever this year, right? Because people want to travel, but they also want to feel safe. And Leaving the country is a non-option right now. So with camping, you're automatically socially distanced unless you're sleeping just on a sleeping bag. And you can bring your own food and water. So it's somewhat safer, right? Mm -hmm. So there is another – there's a lot of camping industry reports, by the way. I mean, it's a huge industry. We just heard it was it was like almost a quarter of the people, probably more now, like a third of Yeah, yeah. The Campgrounds of America 2020 North American Camping Report said that camping, RV, and road trip essentials are seeing double and triple digit growth in sales. So we're talking, I mean, 50% increase, 100% increase, 200% increase, depending on the category. So we're talking about camping equipment, camp stoves, cooking utensils, sleeping bags, lanterns, all, all the things that you need to go camping. And rental car companies have seen a surge mm. in road trip related rentals, which is good because it all seemed like they were going to go out of business. So they're probably loving this. And RV rentals are huge right now as people travel to national parks, the beach, state parks, whatever. And there are a lot of different options out there. Actually, if you want to rent an RV, we've been looking into it. So one is called Cruise America, and that's been around for years. And every time I go to a big national park like Death Valley or mm -hmm. the Grand Canyon, I see them there everywhere. Basically, they're like reasonably sized RVs that you can rent for a trip. Your whole family or group of friends can live in this RV for a week or as long as you want it. And it's like not that unreasonably priced, especially if you split it with a group of people. Another option is outdoorsy, whether it's a little pop-up camper or a full Winnebago. And it's really cool because one, otherwise these things would just sit in someone's driveway, right? And two, it's really affordable. Like depending on what you're looking for, it could be anywhere from like 30 bucks a night to like 200, you know, just depending on how big you want to go. Mm -hmm. And there are tons of other options out there that are more regional, people who 
just own like a little fleet of campers of some sort that you can rent out. So definitely a great option. For the RVs, I've been thinking about Winnebago. Mm -hmm. I actually think that the Winnie is super prime for a comeback. I think that the world is practically foaming at the mouth. Oh, yeah. For a nostalgia concept and a re-release of the classics, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, classic branding and colors, but have all the, like, the interiors updated and, and you, know, you know, modern. But not to go down that PT Cruiser territory. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. just... Like super classic outside, but not some sort of strange like PT Cruiser Frankenstein. <laughs> right, right. You know the like little sort of teardrop shaped ones that you attach to your car? Those have also been making a comeback and like all kinds of brands are making mm. a new version of them. And then of course you can buy vintage and new Airstreams as well. We've we've looked at them. There are all kinds of people who are building custom ones. Mm -hmm. Is it is that Winnebago? No, these are like the smaller ones that your car would tow. But I mean like... Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like I, I think the Winnebago is going to come back huge after this yeah. because all these other ones were starting to anyway. And now if you have a whole family... I mean, th what they should really do is they should collab with another like hipster outdoor company like Pendleton or Patagonia. And I think that they could mm -hmm. really, really, you know, amplify their positioning. Agreed. Agreed. And I think there's still tons of opportunity here to be a person who sells super hipstered out RVs. Like make mm -hmm. them cool because the one thing they yeah. do all have in common is they're kind of ugly inside, you know? Yeah. Like they're just kind of gross mauve color schemes and whatnot. Like there's still someone should like Pendleton, someone should partner with Pendleton. Can you imagine how great that would be? Yeah, I just, I just said that. I was like yeah. Pendleton. Yeah, no. Because I, you could do the Pendleton interiors. Exactly. And like the, like, there'd be a blanket in there or, yeah. I mean, to me, that's the best option, but I'm sure like, even if you went with Woolrich or something, it'd still be pretty cool. Yeah. So if you're listening, people who make RVs, please do this. I want one. Winnebago. Winnebago. Call us. Call us. We got, we've got ideas. We'll, we'll, we'll guide you. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're like, uh, I get car sick. I don't want to be in an RV. That's gross. There are more luxurious options that involve staying in one place. And some of them are very high end. So one is called Getaway. And it has cabins outside, I don't know, like a dozen major cities across the country. Each cabin has a queen size bed, heating and air conditioning, running water, wow. even hot showers. See, this is good. This is mm -hmm. for you. It's still rustic enough to have a campfire and like a picnic table and stuff. But, you know, it's very... Very nice, very cozy core. And they're a little bit pricier. It's about $300 a night, which is what it would cost to stay in a nice hotel. You know, it's not terrible. Wait, wait, wait. Is it $300 a night or is it actually like $500 a night because it's got the Airbnb um, tax in it? I don't think it does. I tried to pretend to rent one today and it didn't seem to be adding all kinds of crazy okay. stuff. Because so that drives me. Oh, my God. Don't get, don't get me started. So I'm not even going to talk about <laughs> Airbnb on here because there are yurts yeah. and cabins out there, but I'm just so over don't, it. Yeah, just don't even go there. The added on fees have gotten so out it, of control. It's just it not is. even an option. It's not even an option anymore. It can literally go up 50%. Yeah. Yeah. We were looking. It's ridiculous. We were looking for at a few places <laughs> out in Death Valley and we were like, fuck this. This is crazy. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, 150. Great. Oh, never mind. It's 400. Like it exactly. was so extreme. I just, I don't have any space for that anymore. I think Airbnb, no. I heard they're trying to go public. I don't know why. I think that concept is on a decline. Anyway, another <laughs> fancier service. This is really bougie. It might be out of our budgets. It's called Collective Retreats. 
and it bills itself as a luxury experience with mm. beautiful rustic accommodations and personal chefs. Oh. So it's a lot different than Girl Scout camp. Yeah, yeah. In the backyard. In yeah. the back, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I also just want to shout out that a lot of state parks have yurts and cabins, all other kinds of facilities that are that tend to be pretty easy on the budget and really nice, and they're always in the best spots. You know, those state parks, they, they get the prime real estate. So I've had a lot of good experience staying in yurts in the Pacific Northwest. I recommend it highly. I also have to give a special shout out to my favorite place, the Southwester, which is a resort made entirely of lovingly restored vintage RVs. It's in Washington State. They have an honor system store, a little vintage shop, a sauna, and the beach is like a five-minute walk away. So cute. And they're open right now. They offer socially distant check-in options, and it's all very safe. They also have really nice goat milk soap, and it's one of my favorite places on earth, and I hope to go there again soon, very soon. So that's like indoorish camping, right? But well, you know the van life uh, um, trend. Yeah, I mean, obviously, van life is something, and you know, I've known a couple of people that can subscribe to the van life thing, and it makes a lot of sense for them, and they'll get a van and you know refurbish it and everything, but. Do you think that airbrushing will be coming back like the 70s? <laughs> I would love to see it. I mean, did it ever go away? Yes, it did. It went away and I want Sad. to see it return. I want to see oh my God. fan life fans with like an airbrushed wolf on it. Me too. You know, there's been, it's funny that you bring up hashtag van life because there's been a lot of controversy there lately hmm. with influencers who are like van life influencers who are actually not living in the van. It's all a fraud oh you're you're like oh, surprise oh yeah. yeah anyway anyway you can't look that good by when you live in a van that long it's just not happening <laughs> so if you aren't camping in a van or in a lodge or in an rv you can camp in a tent there you go and that can be so much fun it can also be terrible it just kind of depends right but you need a lot more supplies for that right so you can get everything you need at rei or any local sporting goods store but if you're looking for more design-driven gear, I have a few options. One is Snowpeak, and that's my absolute favorite. It's a Japanese company, and everything is unsurprisingly thoughtfully designed, uh-huh. well-made, very useful. And they have tents, cookware, bedding, even clothing. You you name it. It's not cheap. It's, it's pretty expensive, but it will last a lifetime. So if you're like, I'm going to be a lifelong outdoors enthusiast, right. which would be if great. This is a- passion if this is like a new passion or an old passion this is it yeah yeah so invest invest right yeah because this stuff can be expensive but you don't want it to fail on you at the most inopportune moment yeah. you know so i don't know if you remember polar of course i always love polar's branding oh so good and they were about to take the world over like i remember years ago, but mm-hmm. they went into bankruptcy yeah honestly if you want my real opinion it's because they went too heavily into clothing and not yeah. enough into outdoor gear. That actually makes sense. They closed up shop, I want to say like two years ago, maybe three years ago. They were bought by another company and now they're back in business. I have one of their old tents and I love it to death. Like it's super easy to put up. Putting up a tent sometimes can be the worst thing ever, especially if it's dark or you're doing it alone. But these you can put up by yourself in less than five minutes. And it's also really cute. Mine has a really cute floral and bird print on it. They have tents, mm-hmm. their famous knapsack, which was that like sleeping bag that you could wear as clothes. Yeah. Some other gear. And you won't be able to get everything you 
need for your trip there, but what you do get will be cute. And then there's also Woods, which is an iconic Canadian oh. brand that has been around since 1885. Interesting. It's a true heritage brand. I actually, of the three brands I'm talking about, this one's the most affordable. And they, they according to their website, Woods blends refined heritage-inspired style with modern-day performance. And they literally have everything you need for camping. So tents, sleeping bags, tumblers, cookware, lanterns, stoves, and it's all great. But once again, outdoor stuff is so expensive. I almost got divorced right after I got married because I had come back from camping in Malibu with Sherry. I was in Portland. And I had asked Dustin to take my camping stuff back to the storage unit. And he was like, sure. But he didn't take it that night and he left it in his car and it was all stolen out of his car. And if I hadn't been in bed with Mono, we probably would have gotten divorced. (laughs) Really, really that upset. That is really sad. I mean, you that is those are like collector's items. Yeah. I and mean, we're talking like thousands of dollars worth of stuff that yeah. I had slowly accumulated over time. Yeah. So buying this stuff can, is a risk and it's really, really expensive, especially if you're not 100% sure that you're about to become an outdoors person. And that's okay. Fortunately, you can now rent your outdoor gear. And this is an amazing option to me because like um, I said, this stuff is expensive, especially if you want nice stuff which you do because if something breaks while you're camping, it's never good. So the place where you can rent all this is called Arrive Outdoors, and they literally have everything you need, tents, sleeping bags, cookware, headlamps, all of it. That's great. It's so amazing. You can rent a kit for two for as low as $23 a night, and it includes a tent, sleeping bags, sleeping pads. You got to have those. You'll be miserable. Headlamps, Mm -hmm. cookware, chairs, even a Yeti cooler. Mm-hmm. And they also have kits for one person, kits for four people. You can just add on stuff that you want. Uh, they have rumple blankets, which are expensive and really awesome. Super nice pillows, lights, all kinds of special pots and pans. So this is probably a great place to test out some of like the more performance gear before you buy them too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And once again, for a lot of people, you're testing out if you like camping. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or you have like you've got like a date and you know you're pretending like like you know what camping is and that you're good at yeah. it. So you just rent all this. You rent all this stuff and it's so affordable. Like we were looking at it today. Not that we're going anywhere anytime soon. I'm too afraid. But we like to every Christmas do a road trip where we fly to Vegas and then go to a different national park and live in the desert. You know, just have a good time. And we usually stay in motels, uh, which just aren't a lot of options out there. And we always are like, God damn it, I wish we had a cooler because there's also no food anywhere. And you don't want to fly with a cooler. That would be ridiculous, right? We could rent one from Arrive Outdoors, have it shipped to our hotel, our first hotel, and have it for the whole trip. That's awesome. Yeah. And there are a lot of other things too. Like you could rent, we were like, oh my God, we could rent a little tiny stove and some pots and pans and like actually not just eat chips the whole week. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of potential here, and I hope that this business really takes off. I'm sure it's doing amazing right now, but I hope it continues because I think this can make the outdoors more accessible for people. That's awesome. I mean, I've never heard of that, and that's such a smart business idea. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's my talk about camping. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, I will transition us over into the softer (laughs) (laughs) soft. 
the softer outdoor gear, which is what I'm responsible okay. for. I'm no outdoorsman over here. <laughs> Retro outdoorsy fashion is actually really having a moment. You know, as social distance activities trend and people are trying to get out of the house and be safely away from crowds, you know, the great outdoors obviously are the most more natural place to be. But not a lot of people are necessarily jumping headfirst into that high performance apparel and the sporty tech gear. So instead, they're kind of sliding into more outdoor friendly, casual with a retro read nostalgic twist to them. Um, you know, these are going to be, you know, people that want to look really mm-hmm. cute for, to go for like a day hike, you know, or, you know, take a like an Instagram photo of them <laughs> like walking up to the observatory here in L.A. or something, you know, like that. But that retro look, you know, obviously continues throughout. Right, right. So what does this mean? You know, we got a lot of ringer tees. We got these cargo and utility pants. And here's another one of those swing a dead cat scenarios. Uh, the bucket hat. <laughs> no, I knew it was coming. They're everywhere right now. Everywhere. So the bucket hat in particularly has been has come just crashing back in style. I mean crashing. It's everywhere you look. You know, it originated from an outdoor styled fisherman and it became really fashionable amongst the mods in the 60s. So, Amanda, there you go. And then the style came back again in the 80s as an iconic like like hip hop. And then it continued into 90s streetwear resurgence and was popularized by everyone from like that hippie jam band culture to Club wear. And Amanda, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it. It's time to bring back a whole new aesthetic name. Club core. Because club is everywhere. Oh, yeah. So you heard it here first, folks. I'm, I'm here for it. I love it. It's club core. Anyway, so Kangle was super notorious as a, as a bucket brand. <laughs> you remember <laughs> Kangle. I mean, who could forget? And everyone wore it like 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 every single celebrity it wasn't even like a style definer necessarily no but all the celebrities had it you know you saw it on like a leonardo dicaprio you saw it on like (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is you know (laughs) this is like the 90s you know like you you saw it on leonardo dicaprio you saw it on uh samuel l jackson i think was that was that who wore the candle no i'm like no I mean, no, no, it ends up. He, I think he, he, he wore that like news, that newsy hat. <laughs> oh my God. You're right. Oh, I think I've blocked out all the bad hats um, of the nineties. Like yeah. the newsy hats also just really <laughs> grind my gears. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, newsies just changed. It revolutionized that look. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so the bucket hat really started trickling back onto the runways in 2018, kind of with this club core resurgence and also with the ugly shoe. So I'm sure there's some sort of connection there of of the two. Like, well, like, give me an example of an ugly shoe. Uh, the ugly shoe is the UG. Oh, the UG, oh God. The UG came back, <laughs> the, the dad shoes come back. So like that ugly shoe trend, you know, that has been kind of amplifying yeah. over, like yeah, it like, kind of came back around the same time but it was more high fashion do you think we should start wearing clark's wallabies again because like now <laughs> cool. now i'm well, feeling like we should for well, fall i mean honestly who knows i mean we, we jump in our pt cruiser we oh, put God, on our, our clarks <laughs> <laughs> oh we gotta we gotta wear the looney tune tee <laughs> Oh, God. Yes. Yes. We called it. I told you it was coming back. The, the Kangle. The Kangle. Not the bucket. 
but the newsy. Oh God. Okay. So one time I had someone over at my house that was having like a party and there were tons of Kangle hats there. Also, this was like peak of that time. And someone had one of those newsy ones and I put it on my head for all of five minutes and it gave me a rash the whole way around my head. You're like allergic to it. I'm allergic to it. It was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, Amanda, it's back. So it came back on in 2018. And then it really just kind of flooded the influencer radio waves, catapulting this one into one of the most popular accessories of 2019 and then carrying her right on into 2020. The bucket hat was, you know, notorious in the 80s and 90s as a style identifier that was around for extended periods of time. (laughs) So I'm super curious, and I think it would be really interesting to see how long these types of trends stick around this time. Because trends, you know, they move a bit faster now that we have social media. So it'd be interesting to see what the life cycle looks like here. And I don't think there's actually anything necessarily wrong with the bucket hat. And I actually think it could be pretty cute if done in the right way. I've seen really cute ones and really cute on people. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think there's some really good ones out there mm-hmm. right now. Um, my friend uh, Danny runs a brand called Picnic, and she makes them out of vintage towels. Cute, and they are so cute. Yeah, but Amanda, so when a trend full on hits Zoomies, is it officially out? <laughs> I mean, wait, is Zoomies still around? Oh yeah, Zoomies is still around, and Zoomies is like a Gen Z meme. That is, and, and basically, it they they mean it to mean if anything with zoomies in it means that it's like out of fashion. <laughs> so right now, you you could find a lot of bucket hats and zoomies, but you can also find it on some of the most like influential influencers. So this one is really kind of just <laughs> this one. It's it, it's a little, it's a bit of an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, that's like almost too much for my brain right now. <laughs> I, I did Google bucket hat and zoomies was one of the first steps. And I think it, maybe it just never left. So they developed so much SEO around the bucket hat. That's what I was wondering if it's the same inventory they've been selling <laughs> and just it's just see. like dead stock now. <laughs> yeah. Just like they like art, someone will RTP yeah. some, then Kangle ship it to zoomies. Mm-hmm. It's just been building up. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I know. I, I, I personally just love the fact that Zoomies has turned into a meme for being uncool. Yeah, because guess what? It never was. I'm trying to find where it, never oh, was. it turns out. Like, wait, do we have a Zoomies around here? Says, oh, sure you do. You're it in Philadelphia. Says there's one downtown. Wow. Oh, girl, you you've got a <laughs> you've Zoomies. Got a zoomies. Yeah, you got a Zoomies. Well, moving on, the cargo carpenter and utility pant is everywhere i have mixed feelings i have mixed feelings yes there's a right way and a wrong way and i know that you have mixed feelings which i would actually love to hear right now well on one way i don't (laughs) want to tell people what they should or should not wear but on the other hand it is so but that's kind of your job i mean that was our jobs where we dictated what was cool i mean obviously if if these this trend was in we would be kind of forced to buy it oh for sure now i have to say 1999 to about 2002, I was wearing a lot of these. <laughs> so 
Actually, yes, I did have some bulldog ones from Urban. Oh my God, me too. Yeah. You know, the railroad stripe. Um, I was like, I knew that's what you were going to say. No. Yeah, that's what I had oh, also. Shut up with with a ringer tee. Yeah, duh. Yeah. yeah like and, then, and then we both had the haircut, the short haircut that because we all wanted to be Drew um, Barrymore. Yeah. Drew Barrymore. Yes. Exactly. The little flower girl. Yeah. 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 So everyone's so- look with a van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I wore those a lot and I would wear them with like some sort of crop top. But I look back at pictures of myself and I'm like cute or whatever, but I can tell that I'm uncomfortable in those pants. That they are moving up and down every time mm-hmm. I walk. They're hitting mm-hmm. me in a weird spot. I think it's just really challenging for women to get a good fit there, but Everybody needs to go out and just try it for themselves. Well, there's a right way and a wrong way. And it, it is, it really, it depends on the fit. And I have been looking around and there's some brands that are crushing it and the fit looks super cute. And then there's just some, you know, that it is kind of a janko vibe and it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't resonate. I would go for, if you want to get that 90s nostalgia, there's the, the cute knit flares that are really popular, you know, I, mm-hmm. I just urban and it's like, oh, this is cute. This is not like very easy to define a slightly more flattering fit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Those are easier for sure. So, you know, here at the department, we love to talk about emerging and indie designers to give them a bit of a platform and a voice and be more visible amongst all the noise and the big guys. So there are some other more indie designers that I wanted to call out who's, who are specifically kind of doing this cool retro outdoorsy campy vibe. Leaky Wolf, which is this awesome Scandinavian skewed sustainable Mm -hmm. LA brand, just launched their pre-fall, which they actually called Laid Back Hiking Club, which is totally my vibe. (laughs) Um, And it looks like it might have been shot in Idlewild, which if you don't know Idlewild, it's here in California. And it's like a mountain village almost. Mm -hmm. And one of the coolest parts about them is that their mayor is a dog. (laughs) I don't trust them. I don't trust I the dog that. mayor. I love it. I think the cats are better for politics. <laughs> Leaky has nailed that cute looking outdoor adventure uh, without having to do that performance in tech. You know, they do the cute little he- mm-hmm. head kerchief, uh, utility pant that actually looks like it's a cute cut. And they're even doing something called mm-hmm. a leisure pant, which really evokes this like 70s vibe. They also have a little cute like garden club capsule of printed tees to encourage outdoor plant-based activities. And they've embraced this kind of like picnic gingham vibe for their summer capsule that you can kind of mix and match. The next one is uh, San Francisco-based camp collection, uh, which is a kind of a full-on 80s summer camp, you know. And Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. actually have a a pretty cute mask that does kind of look like tidy whities um, (laughs) for your face. I don't know. Um, And they keep, I think they keep selling out (laughs) of them, but they are, they have a really, really fun collection of ringers, those gradation color block knits. And Amanda, they have those roller girl American apparel style booty shorts that you were missing. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. I was missing that. And then the last call out (laughs) is Big Bud Press. So I think actually deserve a slightly larger mention, but I'm just going to do a short one here. We could talk about them more in depth in a different episode, but they're based here in LA. Um, They have a shop right down the street from me actually here in Echo Park. And they do this more like 70s play clothes Mm -hmm. vibe, but it really kind of fits into that outdoors mix because it's Mm -hmm. like play clothes, 
you know, sound of music, super optimistic, bright, primary rainbow of colors, seventies mm-hmm. prints and patterns like daisies, which are a trend in itself. There's tons of daisies out there. They have that size inclusiveness that they've garnered like such a massive following that their Instagram actually has 237,000 people that follow them. Ah, uh, I love them. Mm, I know you do. I've been in them. I've been in the store with you. Yeah. I mean, their quality is mm-hmm. amazing. Just the fact that they are like making it all in LA, they're paying a fair wage. They make yeah. all those sizes. They're doing mm-hmm. everything that all the other brands refuse to do because they think it's too hard. And it's not. They were the first like really positive and body positive. Totally. Like, optimistic and body positive companies. And I think that's that's why they really resonated with with all these people. It's like everybody was just dying for something like this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So the next aesthetic trend, I think has some real potential as we kind of get into the winter months and move away from that like hiking and outdoorsy vibe. I started noticing the après ski trend on the more high contemporary designer brands last fall winter. So 2019, you know, it definitely looks like something we haven't seen in a while and something that we're really, really in need of. It has that nostalgia. It has that like 70s look, the color. It's kind of everything that our market says it has legs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a little bit of background, the Norwegians and, you know, just so you know, I'm half Norwegian. (laughs) So this will make a little more sense when I say when I went to Norway, Um, they originally pioneered leisure skiing, which they call Nordic skiing. Um, And it's this kind of cross between cross country skiing and downhill skiing. So wait, is Nordic track from Norway? Oh. Do you remember Nordic track and all the infomercials? I had a Nordic track or my dad did. I used it all the time. Oh my God. I was so good at the Nordic track. <laughs> I mean, this is like the eighties, nineties. So I went to Norway back in high school and I did try my hand at Nordic skiing. And you do have to really understand that I am not personally known for my agility and grace and nearly broke my neck a few times. <laughs> oh my it is, God. Because, I mean, it is literally, a, it is part of the culture. It is what they do there. And it is that cross between downhill skiing and cross country skiing. If I had grown up doing it, I wouldn't have been such an absolute disaster, but I can really see why people love it. So skiing really started out as a status sport. You know, only those who are affluent enough could actually travel to Europe to like the Swiss Alps to the original, original ski lodges. So it really appealed to the elite mm-hmm. and it had status baked in and it still has status baked in. So eventually by the sixties, most of the resorts, even the biggest ones that are open to this day, they all started opening right around then in the sixties. And then by the seventies, there was actually a whole culture around them as it became slightly more democratic. After ski, also meaning after ski in French, is essentially the whole of social activities and entertainment that follows a whole day of skiing. So there's also this this concept of class, style, and status that goes hand in hand with the 70s style after ski wear. Last fall, I really noticed in the performance sector with ski and sports companies offering 70s style inspired and selling mm. to high-end retailers like mm-hmm. Net-A-Porter. So they're mostly in the $300 to $700 range with really high-tech fabrications. So this is this is stuff that you actually wear to the <laughs> ski hill. You right, know? right. 
and it needs and it needs to perform for you. Um, you know, chevron knits, knit jumpers, suspender pants, flares, jumpsuits, a heavy use of retro Americana icons like stars, red, white, and blue, and lots of rainbows. Amanda, you'll love that. Um, I do love that. So last season, they appeared to me mostly in the premium luxury sector. But I really, really think that we're going to be able to see a lot more accessible price points opening up this fall. So perfect moment. I noticed on Net-A-Porter, they had been around since 1982, and they had some amazing retro 70s pieces. Aaron Snow, a luxury performance apparel, but they do message about sustainability. They also were showing a lot of those retro 70s inspired pieces. And then there's this brand Cordova, and this is their mission. Our craft is designing tailored ski and apres ski apparel for women who love to explore rich, illustrious environments and like to feel beautiful while doing it. Wow. They definitely appeal to the luxury premium market. They have a $820 cashmere jumper set for specifically Epriski. <laughs> That's insane. So then Marine Lair did get on board with this trend um, late in the season, but they offered a much more affordable ca- capsule um, in the wintertime, and they did it with this company called Lost and Found, which is this collective that preserves photography from the past. So they basically dug up old footage of full-on retro designs and recreated them for a capsule, which is really amazing. So I think we're going to see these iterations for the street or the couch, you know, kind of depending on what you're doing. Uh, I feel like I'm not really sure if people are going to be able to hit the slopes or cross-country skiing might become actually a really big thing because there is so much distance mm-hmm. as opposed to downhill skiing. Yeah. But I do think we're going to see some some of that coming back into play. And I also can imagine that there's going to be an offshoot of cottage core called lodge core where you kind of dress up like ski bunnies. Uh-huh. I mean, I love that. And you can like hang out by the fire with some hot cocoa, some fondue, and kind of, you know, do your thing. (laughs) I do, at the end of this little segment, want to give a shout out to Isadora over at Backbeat Rags. She just launched this great, great Apris Surf sweater line (laughs) with waves, which I think is so cute. It's really cute. Yeah. And the sweaters themselves are really cute too. They have these waves on them. They're made of organic cotton. And I'm sure that there's actually a pretty big big market for an Apris Surf a lifestyle to be built out. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They're really reasonably priced and they're organic. Mm-hmm. They're $139. Yeah. They look like they would last a really long time. Yeah. A good use yeah. of your, your dollar. Yeah. And she's amazing too. So, so you're supporting a really, really great brand. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to talk about another popular and good thing that's coming out of this trend of social distancing, which is <laughs> gardening. So, mm. so I know, I mean, Kim, I know you have a garden every year because you have an amazing backyard situation. Yes, I bet raised yeah. garden beds. As a New Yorker moved to LA, never gardened in my entire life, generally kill all of my plants. I do have, it's easier when they're outside. It, it is. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Let nature take its course, right? Yeah, exactly. Just water it sometimes. So lots of people all at once got into gardening this year. In fact, yeah. uh, seeds were kind of sold out everywhere. It was sort of crazy. Like the last thing I expected to be a sold out waiting list issue 
was seeds, right? So mm-hmm. one of the most well-known brands of seeds, it's called Burpee Seeds. You've totally seen them at the grocery store, at Home Depot, those kinds of places, which was founded in 1876. So it's been around for a really long time, right? They sold more seeds this March than any time in their history ever. Yeah crazy, right? Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Baker Creek heirloom seeds. Can't recommend them enough. And I found that almost everything I wanted to plant was on back order until late April, early May. Everyone was planting seeds. And in a lot of cases, it was food, but it was also herbs and Mm -hmm. flowers. And fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, places like Home Depot and Lowe's were deemed essential businesses in a lot of states. So people could also go there and buy plants and other gardening stuff with a reasonable level of ease. So seed industry experts, yes, if there's if there's a glamping society, there's a seed industry expert, right? <laughs> there's a whole gaggle <laughs> exactly. of them. They say that we saw a similar phenomenon during the 2008 financial crisis and the subsequent recession, but the rise was more gradual, which makes sense. More people lost their jobs, more Mm -hmm. people worried about money. They started growing their own food. Here we kind of had a a, like sort of like a switch was flipped and suddenly everyone had to plant seeds, right? So some people kind of compare this to the victory gardens of World War II, which was basically it was your civic responsibility Mm -hmm. to grow some food for yourself, right? And yes, it's about food, this desire to grow. I mean, I remember in the very beginning of the pandemic, grocery shopping was really, really hard. If you were brave enough to go, there might not be much for you to buy. But it's about so much more than that for the people who are participating in all this gardening. I did so much reading. I thought it was so fascinating. So one, and this one, this one really just like tugged at my heartstrings, was Mm -hmm. that a lot of people who have long careers that are now being deemed non-essential, right? And so suddenly they're like, what have I been doing with my whole life? I've been working in banking or I'm an office manager or whatever. It turns out nothing I did was essential to society. They're turning to gardening because the gardener always has a sense of purpose. I thought that was so interesting. Definitely. There's also just the simpleness of filling the time left by being stuck at home with the comfort of being in nature, touching dirt, watching things grow. I mean, that's so gratifying. And for some people, Mm -hmm. it's a source of creative expression. So you know who Alice Walker, she's a writer. She wrote an essay called In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. And it talks about her mother tending this extravagant flower garden every day late at night after she worked all day in the fields for someone else. And as a child, Alice Walker wondered why anyone would voluntarily do more of this manual labor on their own. But later, she came to understand that gardening wasn't just another form of work for her mom. It was an act of artistic expression. And she, she concluded that gardening offered the chance to reshape a small piece of the world as one's personal image of beauty. And I just... Just loved that. And I think that speaks to why so many people are growing flowers right now. It's not just about a vegetable garden. So there are a lot of reasons for all of us to take up gardening. And it's pretty inexpensive, but you need some outdoor space, right? As a city person, yep. I feel that. Um, <laughs> I have a I have a bed in my backyard, but Philly is gross. I would never grow food in there. So it's just flowers and herbs for me. Yeah, I feel like it'd just be like covered in hepatitis. Yeah, it'd be bad. It would be bad. So 
before all this went down, the pandemic, I mean, this hot new trend that's the pandemic, I was eyeing buying up a thing called a veg trug, (laughs) which is great for the urban farmer. It's a really aesthetically pleasing raised bed that is easily moved and reasonably inexpensive. And horribly named. Horribly named. It's so much cuter. Veg uh, trug. Veg trug. I know. It's two to $300 depending mm-hmm. on the size. You can also buy a cover for it and grow stuff outside longer. But they were sold out at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm not going to buy one at the end of summer because, you know, I live in Pennsylvania. So I'll have to wait till next year. But I'm really, I mean, depending on where I'm living, going to get one of these and rename it. Definitely not going to call it the veg trug. And I feel like Dustin, <laughs> Dustin can go water the veg trug. Veg but anyway, trug. they're really, really cool. And so the other thing about gardening is you don't actually need that many tools, but God, they're so cute, you know? And I have my eye on this amazing gardening set from Picnic Time that is also a canvas seat. So you can basically sit on it and all the tools fit in underneath and they're all really cute. Once again, you probably don't need to buy this, but you could. If you don't have any outdoor space and you are living that urban apartment life, which I feel you, there's plenty of other plants and stuff you can grow inside. And now more than ever, thanks to all those millennials and their love of plants, it's even easier to order plants delivered to your home. So by now you're probably familiar with the Sill. I feel like their ads follow me all over the internet. And I would say that's the biggest online plant store. But I will tell you, I find their shipping a little too spendy. This is almost as much as the plant itself. Another one that's pretty big is Bloomscape. Mm. They have a large, decent assortment, and the plants come pre-potted. Both of these sites, the Sill and Bloomscape, offer tons of information about how to care for your plants, which is great if you're a newbie, right? It's not as easy as you think until you learn it. Are any of them East Coast versus West Coast? Um, I want to say a lot more East Coast than West Coast. Yeah, I feel like the sill is East Coast. Yes. I don't know about Bluescape. I don't know either. I think they might be East Coast. So mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of another one called Horty, H-O-R-T-I. They have a good selection of super high quality plants, cute custom pots, like so cute. And they offer a subscription service. They have one that's for people who live in New York because that's where they're based. And then another one for people who Ooh. are across the country. So they ship everywhere. Their shipping is pretty reasonable too. They also have a subscription box for people who have pets. They have pet safe plants, which is great because that can be mm-hmm. really confusing. And they also have some cute home gardening gear that is very well curated. But most importantly, they do this thing I love. It's called plant kindness. Basically, they give plants to people who could use a pick-me-up. Oh. I love that. I know. Isn't that great? So each month they give plants to five people in need of a plant, and you can nominate recipients on the site. Additionally, you, the customer, can donate a plant for plant kindness. So you'll Mm -hmm. just be gifting a plant to a stranger. And I love this so much because we often think about basic needs like food, clothing, you know, that kind of stuff. But we don't think about the positive benefits of just nice things like plants how they can have such a huge impact on someone's physical and mental health. I think we're starting to understand that now as we're all trapped at home, how these little things can change mm-hmm. the whole feeling of your life, right? Absolutely. I also, and this is just because I'm an insider here, I know for a fact that Horty is totally bootstrapped by their owners with no VC money, and I love and respect that. I think that's amazing. However, I also don't want you to forget about your local plant shops. These are the people who can give you extra support and answer all of your questions. They want your business. They're experts. I have a few to shout out who also do sell things online. 
One is here in Philly. It's called Chloris and Praise. The owner was supposed to be opening a storefront before COVID hit, but she has been killing it by doing sidewalk pop-up sales every weekend all over the city. Um, You can follow her on Instagram to see where she is next. And she also sells stuff in her stories, her Instagram stories, and does online sales. So you can support her in a variety of different ways. And her plants are great and very reasonably priced. Another one here in Philadelphia is called Walter Pine Floral Studio, and they sell exquisite flower arrangements, beautiful plants. Their store is gorgeous. They also sell online. In Portland, my all-time favorite place is called Flower Bomb. She has amazing flowers and plants. She used to be in a truck for years. It was parked near my house in Portland, but now she has a full-on store down the block on Stark Street, and some of my favorite plants that live here with me in Philadelphia are from there. They're reasonably priced, very healthy. If you're in Portland, go buy a plant from her. And one last thing, one last thing. I have so much plants. You can tell I love a plant. (laughs) If you're into succulents, and you probably are because they're really cool, I suggest you check out an Instagram account called Sucks For You. We'll post this in our notes, so don't worry. Andrea is an expert on all things succulents. She even wrote a book about it. And she provides a ton of information and will even do one-on-one coaching for all of your succulent issues because it's not easy. Those things, they're picky. They are hard. Oh my God. I have killed a couple even this week in my house. Yeah. Yeah. So check out Sucks For You. Have you ever done composting? Because I've gotten into a bit of composting over here. So in Portland, they have citywide composting. Like you get a special can. We we have it here too. Oh, wow. I, but I, I want to use the, right, I use the right. compost. So though. here I wanted to get one for our backyard. I'm glad I didn't because can you imagine the raccoons? <laughs> well, I have this one that's like, it's, it's, it's a basically a big plastic, like it's almost like one of those like um, bingo machines and you just yeah, spin it. Yeah. But you're right. The, the raccoons would get on there anyway. Mm. I mean, they get into all the recycling. One of them ripped up a box of plant food and tried to eat it, but gave up. (laughs) So, well, I, you know, I have a million raccoons and they actually have not gotten into this. That's good. Actually, they leave it alone. Ours are too comfortable. They, I think yours, you have real, real city varmints. Like our yard is a safe space for them. I think because they come here, they take a nap. You know, they, there's a cat yeah. bed that's out there that they two, heaven. two of them will snuggle up in. I mean, it's adorable, but they do sometimes flip over the recycling bin and make me mad. So, <laughs> <laughs> so digging into a few more of the larger brands that are ranking really high on trend and leaning towards outdoor adventuring, but are also kind of doing it right. The first one is Patagonia, which is showing just continued massive growth and popularity in 2020. You know, Patagonia is actually really an amazing brand. And I've only kind of realized Mm -hmm. that in the past maybe year or two, but it was founded in 1973. You know, they've grown to become one of the most notable brands in regards to integrity and sustainability. And this is because their CEO, who has been at the helm for 12 years, Rose Mercario. She actually just announced that she was stepping down and leaving behind this extremely impressive legacy. So the company had originally been founded on a commitment to grassroots environmental organizations, and Mercario rebuilt that part that had been kind of lost over the years during her tenure 
uh, of being a CEO. Everything from developing new sustainable materials, Mm -hmm. encouraging reselling to lengthen the product life cycle with their website, Warnware, which was established in 2018 that sells used Patagonia, reducing waste and expanding free trade certifications to getting much, much more active and vocal by investing in environmental awareness films to donating $10 million that the company netted as a result of Trump's corporate tax cuts to environmental causes. So their commitment isn't just a marketing gimmick. It isn't Everlane or Reformation. This is real. And the people are super passionate about it. And everyone that works (laughs) there is really passionate about it. Two of their key values are causing no unnecessary harm and using the business to protect nature and have an obvious positive impact on the environment. Both require Patagonia to buck conventional wisdom and manufacturing practices. Additionally, Amanda, you'll love this one. One of the founders' mottos is don't buy what you don't need, which is super refreshing. It's so honest. Yeah. That should be everybody's motto. God, I love it. I love it. A refreshing and honest look at consumer culture through a totally different viewpoint. So they continue to support grassroots environmental activist groups. They donate 1% as well as time and volunteer work. Finally, they also strive to source sustainable materials and they also offer transparency about their footprint. You know, I have talked about the baggy shorts and everyone's talking about the baggy shorts. I swear to God, New York Mag talks about the baggy shorts every single day. They are sold out of the baggy shorts. <laughs> I was thinking about getting them, and the New York New York Mag just posted about them so much. Both on, oh like, my god, I know. Oh my god, it's everywhere. Like the baggy short is, it, it definitely is part of like that ugly but like wearable trend. Um, mm-hmm. I have though been eyeing up some of those heritage men's like retro fleece styles, which I might get into mm-hmm. for fall. You know, they're doing their Mm -hmm. own version of the biker legging that has this like tapered look and it's called the happy hike short. I would be remiss not to mention Mm. that the Patagonia vest has become a uniform for the finance bro these days. (laughs) Which is not is not good. It's not good. But it is kind of funny because the not to be missed at Midtown Uniform Instagram account offers a lot of great memes recording regarding this. (laughs) (laughs) so just avoid the patagonia vest um but everything else is is pretty okay um i do think that they're missing the mark a bit on their backpack game you know this is a bit of a transition into the next brand but i really see that they could be pulling in a lot more from their heritage approach they have like one style that's kind of retro but i feel like you know like Bring in some of that Sherpa, like go big on a vintage logo. Like this is really the time to play up that heritage and take a little of that market share. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I do think that oftentimes when they hit something aesthetically, mm-hmm. it's by accident. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. So the next part is, is Fjall Robin, which you've seen everywhere um it's a swedish heritage brand mm-hmm. that was founded in 1960s and really built a place in the u.s actually in the early tweensies you know i was a buyer in new york during mm. the the aughts and i remember there was a woman named andrea westerland 
who is a Swedish cool girl who ran Mm -hmm. a showroom and became the distributor for the line. And she got it placed in literally all of the coolest spots, opening ceremony, Barney's, all those things. And that's when it really started to take off. You know, she still Mm -hmm. is around and she owns a bunch of boutiques called Westerlin and they focus on outdoor gear for the fashion forward consumer. Definitely, you know, premium price point stuff. But I think she's been really, really successful marketing towards that specific Mm -hmm. crowd. So just like other heritage brands, it was kind of that, that mingling of the logo, the nostalgia, and the adventure that really hit the mark for people. You know, Fjallraven has that Nordic mystique layered onto the mm-hmm. retro silhouettes that reflect camp and outdoor culture from the 1970s. And I think there's this kind of lean towards that Wes Anderson nostalgia at play with Fjallraven. And their most popular style is the Konkan. Um, and the Konkan <laughs> is considered a Swedish cultural icon. Mm-hmm. It was introduced in 1978 in response to this newspaper report of Swedish children suffering from back problems and carrying shoulder bags to school. Gjallraven developed this style to straighten their back and relieve the issues. So it has this na- naivete uh, because it was actually intended for school children, but within the storytelling of the product itself and Part of the reason why people really like the product is that it really does still straighten your back and relieve these kind of shoulder issues from carrying heavy loads on your back. Did sort of transition from the schoolyard to outdoor gear as well. And they do kind of talk to both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes this bag ultra versatile is that it's made from a material that is not, not only durable, but it's quick drying and water resistant. So it can kind of go from outdoors to indoors. In particular, it's resonated with the Gen Z crowd and the Visco girl. You know the Visco girl, right, Amanda? Oh, yeah. Who could forget? She's got, like, the the big T-shirt and the sneakers. She's got a Hydro Flask. It's definitely, like, this this very specific TikTok style. Um, So as millennials went really hard for the Herschel, (laughs) Gen Z's really gravitated towards that Fjall Robin. Mm -hmm. And it's likely the retro look as well as the sustainability messaging. They last forever, actually. Do you have one? I have have one now. I used to have one that I had. I actually bought it at opening ceremony in the early aughts because it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And remember when I said all my camping stuff got stolen? Yeah. That was in there. Such a bummer. But I did buy a pink one last year. It's not as good as my original one, I swear. But maybe they just wear over time and get better and better. I don't know. Do you feel, what do you feel? Do you feel like it was the material that changed? Or do you think? Yeah, it gave me a rash on my back. I was doing a little research. And originally, I couldn't find it on the website. But I'd heard the designer talking about how they made this this specific material. This was a few years ago in Japan. And I wonder if they had to change their material for cost purposes. I mean, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah. I mean, or, or it's the same. I just, I feel like if it was, if it was still made in Japan from this, like from the specific material, they would talk about it more, but you know, they do message that sustainability in their design, their materials and their production, which really mm-hmm. resonates with the Gen Z crowd and pretty much with everyone nowadays. Um, they have this Arctic Fox initiative that supports the preservation of the Arctic Fox, but it also is open to any nonprofit in the world working to protect the environment and or inspire more people to spend time in nature so they can all apply for funding from this Arctic Fox initiative. They really do kind of position themselves as an outdoor 
product and they encourage adventure and getting out in nature. Um, they have tents, they have sleeping bags, hunting gear, the whole nine yards. But you know that the core of their sales are coming from these, these bags, these backpacks. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And their merchandising, you know, they really recognize that people are kind of wearing them more for commutes and school. They have laptop bags, crossbodies, you know, not necessarily outdoor gear, but they really do encourage you to get outside and they want to, they build that into their positioning and their aspirations. They don't really do a lot of collabs, but back in 2018, they did do a collab with Swedish acne, the purveyor of cool. And I think that really continued to catapult them further and further into like the coolness world. And then the next and last brand falls more into that outerwear accoutrement. And Amanda, you were, you mentioned it kind of earlier, but you know, we've all, we all know that reducing consumption and being on the go has led to a boom in sales of personal bottles like Gen Z Visco girls love, mm -hmm. love the hydro flask and that crazy popularity in the millennials of the swell insulated bottles. But there is another in the mix that's always fascinated me, which is Yeti. And they really cornered the market on that luxury cooler sector. They are considered the Range Rover of coolers. I mean, have you ever looked at one of them? Oh, they're beautiful. They are. They're so... A machine. Expensive. Yeah, they're so expensive, too. Mm -hmm. Like, whenever I see someone at the beach with them, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> like, wow, why are you at the public beach? You've got a Yeti cooler. <laughs> <laughs> like, why don't you get on your, your private jet? Yeah, And go exactly. to your private beach? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I didn't really know that much about Yeti, and I have seen it everywhere, particularly at different trade shows I've been to. And so I've always been kind of interested in it. It's been one of those companies that I it could potentially be a heritage brand. Like, you could tell me that it was maybe founded in the 60s, and I would not be surprised. Yeah. I was sort of surprised to find out that they're actually not that old, and they were part of the aughts disruptor brands. Mm -hmm. They were born in 2006 by two avid or outdoorsmen brothers in Texas. And there's not a whole ton of coverage around Yeti, uh, but there's a really great article on in Inc. that kind of talks about how they built their brand. Um, you know, the product was built for the serious outdoor enthusiasts rather than mass discount retailers. And it's founded on the idea of quality and is even built like the kayaks and made to last. So it's really a performance cooler, something that can be kicked around, can be literally thrown into the raging river and last. <laughs> and pulled right from their about page, the coolers available at the time just weren't up to our outdoor activities. This is what the founders are saying. The handles would break, the latches would snap off, and the lids would cave in. Not only was it a hassle to replace our coolers after each season, but also these cheaply built ordinary ice chests were limiting our good times and that frustration led us to a solution. So they are investment pieces, as Amanda was saying. The basic cooler is $250. I mean, that's going up against a $20 cooler that you can get, you know, at Walgreens. But they boast durability and ice retention, so you can still have a cold drink at the end of your trip. Like, they mm -hmm. are literally made like tanks. They're also designed to be bear resistant, which actually is super important and necessary when you're in the wilderness. Losing your entire supply of food and having to replace yet another cooler, that's not only a loss of money, but a loss of a good time. So the $250 is basically this security blanket as well as a cooler. Like it's basically, Amanda, if you went 
camping and your um, one can of Campbell's soup, vegetable soup, got got eaten by a bear, and then you had to turn on and go back. I mean, it actually is kind of worth the $250, right? I mean, I just don't, I don't think you want to ruin a Yeti cooler by housing that soup in there. Yeah, that's true. No, no, no. no there's, there's never been a Campbell's soup can inside of a Yeti cooler. You got to get at least like Progresso yeah. or Amy's. <laughs> yeah, Amy's. Get some Amy's in there. In 2015, sales skyrocketed as the Yeti became a gotta have label. It was the payoff from years of grassroots marketing to fishermen and hunters who not only spread the word, but helped Yeti spill into other markets. So they built the foundation on ambassadors and it ended up really just paying off. They reported $450 million in sales in 2015, Amanda. $450 million. And that was in 2015. I can't imagine where they are now. And I know that Mm -hmm. sales have skyrocketed since the pandemic as the shift to social distancing and outdoor activities has grown. And now everyone's kind of having to buy their own coolers as they're kind of going out in smaller groups or going out just with their family and it's turning them into kind of a necessity. And people are starting to buy things that just have more longevity. I mean, this thing is, is built to last. And then when you read those reviews, people are super passionate about the product. So when you think about it, replacing a cooler, you know, every single season or even twice a season and potentially having a bear come and steal your fun times and, you know, all those things. Or if you're, if you're kayaking, you're an actual, actual outdoorsman and having this, this, this cooler fall into the, the river, you know, like having something that can actually sustain some serious impact is totally worth $250 in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you're going to be serious about the outdoors, once again, like I have no idea how this will carry out in the future. Like will the outdoors continue to be something people do for fun or will we go back to staying in hotels and getting on airplanes? I don't know. I don't know. The suspense is killing me. I really think people are going to start finding a lot of passion in this. And I mean, they're, they're going to invest in it a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. sure, or get, start getting used to it. I think this, that there's going to be get some, used to it. <laughs> used to it. I think there's going to be some rituals. Like I would be getting used to it. Like okay, let's get yeah. used to this. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for joining us on this odyssey into the nature. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It has been such a delight, hasn't it? I feel like this was like a fun topic for us to cover and something we've never talked about personally together. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If you have any suggestions, comments, things you want to say, you can reach us via email at info at the department.world. And don't worry. I know we threw a lot of brand names, a lot of Instagram accounts, a lot of other information at you. You can find all of that on our website. Kim does this amazing job of summarizing our episodes and putting in all the links. So you'll find that at the department.world. And you can find us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. Do you have anything else to add? Oh, you know what? That We hmm. like always forget to thank Dustin for our music, which is like, the oh. best podcast music in the world, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Hands yeah, down. Yeah. It's trending. <laughs> well, thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.